following is a continuation in our series looking at the lies that Satan tells us. We hope you enjoy. Right, so tonight we're going to be continuing looking at the lies that Satan tells us. And tonight we're going to come to several lies that I'm going to try and pack into one. We're going to be looking at all the lies that deal with the scriptures. So tonight, kind of the overarching lie that we're going to look at is that the Bible isn't really God's word. It's not something that's trustworthy. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to get started, and then after we're done, we'll break into small groups. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we can come together and open your word and study and learn. I do pray for everyone here, Lord, that we would be all blessed by opening your word, because it is true. It is reliable. And I just pray that you would be with us and watch over us. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Have you all ever actually used a compass before? So any good compass is going to point where? North. Not only north, but what? True north. Right? And true north is the perfect way to align yourself when you're lost. So a good compass is always going to point true north no matter what. And if you're lost in the wilderness and you at least kind of know generally the direction you need to go, you can use a compass to find your way. Now, if we took a compass and we decided that we wanted it to point in whichever direction we wanted it to, would that be very helpful for us? So say you're lost in the woods and you know that you need to go east. And say your interpretation of the compass is, well, I I want true north to actually be south. So you start heading east, what happens? You're going west, right? We can do that same very thing with the Bible. The Bible is true. It always points us towards God's truth. But sometimes we can think that maybe it's wrong. Maybe it's is something that I don't need to be totally trustworthy of. Maybe maybe I can start reading into the Bible things that I want it to say. And what happens is we're doing just like that. We're saying maybe well maybe it's just pointing south and I can do I can do this or do that or I can go this way or that way. And God's truth says no. It always points towards the true God. It always points towards the the truth that God actually spoke out these words that we have. So tonight we're going to look at this. The scriptures are God's word given to his people. And they're meant to communicate His will, not ours. His will, not ours. So we're going to look at two different lies that Satan tries to teach us about the Bible. The first one is going to be that Satan tells us that the Bible is not actually God's Word. So if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read verses 16 to 17. I'm going to ask Emma to read that passage for me. So Genesis 2, verses 16 to 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay, so here in the garden, God gives us the very first command. This is God's first revelation to his people. And it's incredibly clear from the get-go. Okay, It's not like, well, maybe you should do this, or here's some good ideas. No, it says, do not eat what? Of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Adam can eat his heart's content to any of the other trees in the garden, but there's one that God says don't do it of. There's one exception, and if he does, what does it say? He will surely die. Now, we're going to unpack this very word right here because there's something really, really interesting happening theologically that we don't have in our English language. And I don't want to bore you with the Hebrew, but this is really, really cool right here. So, in the Hebrew, there's an emphatic verb, okay? In the English, we just have verbs, right? We, just, we don't have like different types of verbs. We just have verbs. In the Hebrew, there's several different types of verbs. And this specific type of verb is used when you want to emphasize something. It's used when you want to 
make the point very clear that this is important, right? So when the verb happens here, it's actually a double verb. Hang with me here, because this is all going to come circle back around when we get to our second point. But this double verb essentially means, you shall surely die, die. There's such an emphasis placed here. And theologically, I want you to see that what's going on here is not only if they eat of that tree, not only are they going to bring death into the world, right? Not only are they going to be able to die physically, but spiritually, they're dying. They bring spiritual death into the world. They bring sin into the world. So when he says, you shall surely die, die, this is huge. This is important. Pay attention to this command. This verb tense is not used often, but it's always trying to stress a particular point. And he wants Adam to know that if you eat of this tree, bad things are going to happen. And what we can take from that is that when God tells us something, when God gives us what we have in the Bible as the scriptures, that's important. And it's something that we need to listen to and be mindful of. Because what happens with our sin? Our sin separates us from God. Our sin puts this chasm and this rift between us and God, and it's that spiritual death. Yes, when we have Christ, we are new creations, and there's nothing that we can do that would ever separate us from God. But our sin does put distance, and we need to be mindful of that. Let's read 2 Timothy 3.16. I believe I asked Michael to read this. If you'll go ahead and read that. Read it pretty loud so we can all hear, brother. Okay, so when Paul writes this to Timothy, he's telling that all Scripture comes from where? It comes from? It comes from God. Right? It's breathed out by God. And the word for breath in both the Greek and the Hebrew also means the word spirit. And you see that all over the Bible, that whenever God is actually breathing life into somebody, like physical breath, like Adam, he was breathing his spirit into Adam. In Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones, when God breathed life into those bones and made skeletons stand up, and walk around, God breathed his spirit into those bones. And when Paul says here that all scripture is God-breathed, what do you think that means? It means that the spirit is at work in every word of the scriptures. Think about that picture. If all scripture is God-breathed, then the spirit is working through every single page of the scriptures. The spirit's at work whenever we read the scriptures. The spirit's at work whenever the scriptures are preached, whenever they're read in a Bible study. Whenever they're read in your room alone doing a devotion, the Spirit is at work. And if we trust God, if we trust that He is good, and we know that He is a good and perfect God, then His words have to also be what? Perfect, right? So we get into these two ideas, two big theological terms. We're going to break them down make them very simple for us tonight. Have you guys ever heard the word inerrant and infallible? Okay. The word inerrant, it means in, without, errant. Error. So without error. So the Bible does not have any errors in it. Okay. Now, the errors that many of the critics point to, they usually fall into two different categories. Okay. First is known as a scribal error. When the Bible was starting to be transmitted, we didn't have things like computers, and we didn't have things like printers, and people actually had to write everything out and duplicate it over and over and over again. Okay. Did you ever get in trouble in school and you had to write something on the board over and over? Did the teacher still do that? Probably not. Okay, well, I had to do that. And at some point, you get to the point where like, you start messing up words, even though you've written the same 20 things over and over. Whenever we see errors in some of the early manuscripts, that's usually what it comes down to. It's a scribe was staying up late, copying something over and over and over, and he messed up one little tiny word. If you look at all the manuscripts that we have for the New Testament, 
There are no major errors. There's only like tiny little things. And there's no theological mess-ups. That's the reliability that we have. It's all been transcribed and transmitted to us very accurately. There have been tiny little things, but we have tons of evidence that point towards one specific document that tells us. And we have plenty of other documents that can say, that was an error. Let's focus on the ones that we know are true. So there can be scribal errors, and there's something called a contextual error. Okay, y'all know what context is? Say there's some sort of cultural norm that has happened a long time ago. Okay, everybody does it. It's pretty common. Fast forward 2,000 years, and that cultural norm is no longer in play. A lot of times, that actually happens in the Bible. So a lot of times, when Jesus is saying stuff, he's using literary devices that are no longer in use. I want to give you an example. Shared this with the REF group a couple weeks ago. In Mark 2, Jesus goes to an example taken from 1 Samuel 21. And he's talking about David and the high priest. And he says that the high priest's name was Abiathar. If you actually go back to 1 Samuel 21, that wasn't the name of the high priest. So a lot of critics are saying, well, hey, Jesus didn't even know his Old Testament. He's quoting things wrong. Therefore, the Bible has errors. But what we don't see there is that Jesus is using what was known to be a common literary device of the time where they took the main character from a section of the scriptures because, believe it or not, we didn't always have chapter numbers. We didn't always have verse numbers. So the way to categorize scripture was to categorize it under the headings of the main character of the passage. So the high priest was actually Ahimelech, not Abiathar. But... Abiathar was way more important in that section of Scripture, and that's why he did that. So when a critic says, well, Jesus is messing up the Bible, they're missing out on the context of it. So those are the two main categories that these quote-unquote errors find themselves in. Now, that's inerrancy. Okay, The Bible does not have any errors. Infallible. Does anybody know what the word infallible means? Not only is it without error, but it doesn't have the ability to have error, which means it cannot be corrupted. It cannot be imperfect in any way. We can have something that's inerrant that's not infallible. Okay? Have you all ever taken a test and got a hundred on it? You had an inerrant test, right? It didn't have any errors. But is your test infallible? You could have gotten questions wrong. You could have gotten an eighty. You could have gotten a sixty. You could have gotten a zero if you tried really hard. But the Bible is not that way. Not only is it without error, but it does not have the ability to err because why? Because it is God's words, and he is perfect. So that means that the scriptures are perfect because they're God's words, not ours, which leads us to the second lie that Satan wants to put in your hearts, which is that Satan tells us that the Bible can mean whatever you want it to be. So not only does Satan try to tell us that it's not actually God's word, but he wants us to interpret it however we want. So let's turn to Genesis 3, verses 1 to 6, and we're going to continue on this narrative of the way that Satan was speaking to Adam and Eve. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. So we have the command. God told them not to eat of the tree. And now Satan comes in, and he's interacting with Eve. And 
What's at the heart of the question that he asks Eve? His goal is to plant this seed of doubt in her mind. His goal is to communicate to her that, you know, maybe God's word isn't as good as you think it is. Maybe you know better than God. Maybe you should interpret God's command however you want. Notice what she does. She adds something to it, and then she takes away something from it. This is the birth of legalism. Y'all know what legalism is? Here, she's implementing a sort of legalism. She says that not only are we not to eat it, but we're not to do what? We're not even allowed to touch it, right? Did God say that? No. No. He didn't. Okay, so she's adding to God's command here. But not only is she doing that, but she's downplaying the significance of the punishment for sins here. Okay? God never said don't touch it. Eve was reading into it. And then she makes this other slight change that, again, in the English, we don't see. Okay, remember when I talked about that emphatic verb, that double die die? Okay? What do you think Eve does here? She changes it to just, well, he says, well, you surely won't die. Okay? She is taking the punishment for what God has said, you shall surely die, not only the physical, but the spiritual death. And she's saying, well, it's really not that big of a deal. We'll just die. Okay? Think about the way that that affects everything. If we start downplaying the significance of God's hatred of sin, what does that mean for us? It means that we'll buy into that lie that we studied many weeks ago when we talked about, well, I can just sin all I want because God gives us grace, right? A modern day way that we do this is downplaying our sin. And I think we all do this in various ways. That's exactly what Eve is doing here. She's trying to downplay the punishment. Or something like this, God is love, so he would never send people to hell, right? That's downplaying the punishment. Denying the existence of the place that God sends people who deny him and never call upon him. We're actually going to study that in a few weeks, uh, so stay tuned for that. But it downplays the severity for the punishment of sin. And this is something that we really need to be mindful of because Satan loves to keep us in this realm. He wants us to keep doubting. He wants us to keep questioning, right? And one of the ways that he does that is he gets us to try to read our own opinions and preferences into the scriptures, okay? Now, have you guys ever read the Bible, read a passage of scripture, and seen something that you've never seen before? Like seen something that like stood out to you, right? That's perfectly okay. That's not you reading into the text. That's you searching the scriptures and God teaching you something. But when we start putting our own thoughts into the scriptures and interpreting it in the way that we want to understand it, in the way that we want it to be read, that's the danger. God has always worked through the personalities of people. He's always worked through people that are very different. Okay, And some person can read something one way and some person can read it another way. And God works through those things, but the scriptures always have one meaning. What is that meaning? Sunday school answer starts with J. Jesus. All of the scriptures point towards Christ. And if we read anything other other than that into the scriptures, we can be in a dangerous spot. Now, people read politics into scripture all the time. Republicans are going to bring their republicanism into the scriptures. Democrats are going to bring their Demo- I, I made this word up earlier. Their democratism into the scriptures, okay? None of that is in the scriptures, okay? We're Christians. We read Christ when we read the scriptures. Doesn't mean that we can't see and highlight certain things that are good from the scriptures, but it does mean that when we take our own thoughts and say, this is what the scripture says because it's what I feel and what I think, then that's a dangerous thing because our emotions are always going to lead us astray. Preferences and opinions aren't a bad thing. You all favor certain things over another. There are certain things and ideas that you have that somebody else may not have, and that's an okay thing, but we need to keep those away from the pages of scripture for one purpose, to make sure we read it right. At one point in the church's history, the priests were the only ones that could interpret Scripture. Okay? They were the only ones that were allowed to read it. 
They're the only ones that were allowed to understand it. In fact, it was in a language that nobody else knew, so that the common people couldn't read it, uh, which essentially led to one thing. The priests could tell them whatever they wanted, right? If you go back in our history of the Reformed Church, this is exactly one of the big issues that the Reformers had with the Catholic Church, was that they were relying on a person for the authority of scriptures instead of the person of Christ. And if we do that for ourselves, right? if we start relying on ourselves to be the sole interpreters of scripture, it doesn't mean that you're not allowed to interpret scripture, but it doesn't mean that you're the authority of interpreting scripture. I'm not even an authority of interpreting scripture. I'm a pastor. It's a joy of mine. But my authority is not me. My authority is not my seminary degree. My authority is not the study that I've done of the scriptures. My authority comes from God. One thing that I do want to highlight for us, just because in our context, we are a Reformed church, both Redeemer and Westminster. We're Reformed churches. We, we're Presbyterians. We're a part of the Presbyterian Church of America. And part of our theology is that we value the scriptures heavily, right? We place a lot of emphasis on the Bible because we think it's true. And I want to read something from our book of church order. And I know you're probably like, oh, gosh, why is tree reading from the book of church order? This is annoying and boring. But I want you to, to hear some of the requirements. And I don't read this because I want you to think, man, Tree, you, you did such a good job doing this. This is the type of stuff that the authorities of your churches have to do in order to be entrusted with giving you the scriptures. See the intensity that we take as a denomination to make sure that people aren't reading their own opinions in the scriptures. Okay? When a person goes up for examination in the PCA, they have to take six tests. Uh, one is on their Christian character and their views. The second one is on their knowledge of the Greek and Hebrew languages. The third one's on theology. Then the sacraments and church history, the history of the denomination, and the principles and rules of government in the church. And then there's also a Bible exam. Okay? And I'll be honest with you, all those were really, really hard. One of my exams took me eight hours, and I didn't even finish it. Okay? It's exhausting, right? But the point of that is not to like put people up on a pedestal and see how much they know, but it's rather a protection for you, protection for the people in our congregations to know that what they're getting is actually God's word. It's not a bunch of guys who are in it for fame and not a bunch of guys who are in it to tell you what they want to tell you, but it's rather people that are enthusiastic about the scriptures and love the Bible and want you to know the Bible. And this is one of the vows that I had to take. It's a vow that Pastor Ben had to take, a vow that Pastor Wade had to take. It says this, do you believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice. And that may not mean a whole lot to you, but that's an actual oath that I have taken as a pastor to not read myself into the scriptures. And I hope that you can appreciate that. Not, I don't want you to appreciate me, I want you to appreciate that. When we preach here, when Ben preaches at Redeemer, you're getting God's word. You're getting it as the perfect, inerrant, infallible word. And doesn't mean that we can't bring in our own experiences and stories to help illustrate. doesn't mean that we can't bring our personalities to communicate that. But we're not going to give you something that's not what you need, which is the Scripture. Now, one of my professors in seminary used to always say that whenever you're looking at a passage, view it as a circle, okay? And your dot is one of the points of the passage, but there's also multiple dots within that circle. But the circle itself, there's always a main thrust to the passage which points us to Jesus, I want to recommend a book to you if you're ever interested. I think, well, this is called Taking God at His Word. It's by Pastor Kevin DeYoung. Very short, very helpful book. And I'm actually going to conclude by reading one of his application sections here. He has a little acronym that helps protect us as we read the scriptures. And it's the acronym SCAN. Okay? 
Start with S. Sufficiency. The scriptures contain everything we need to know about salvation and godly living. We don't need any new revelation. It's sufficient for us. C. Clarity. The saving message of Jesus is plainly taught in the scriptures and can be understood by all that who have ears to hear. And we don't need an official magisterium. We don't need an official special person to tell us what the Bible means. Authority. A. The last word goes to the word of God. We must never allow the teachings of science, human experience, or even of the church and its councils to take precedence over scripture. And lastly, in necessity, general revelation is not enough to save us. We cannot know God savingly by the means of personal experience and human reasons. We need God's word to tell us how to live, just as Christ told us how to live and how to be saved. So if God has spoken through his word, then it's the standard that can only be set against itself. And I want you guys to see that in your own daily life. As you're reading the Bible and you have trouble understanding it, doesn't mean you can't go ask somebody to help you understand it. But the scriptures are always going to teach you about other parts of scriptures. The scriptures attest to themselves because it's the highest standard. We can't go any higher than that. The scriptures are reliable. Scripture interprets itself. And if this is something that you particularly struggle with, like doubts of the scripture, trying to understand how the scriptures all fit together, then please don't leave here without at least having a conversation with one of the small group leaders. We want you guys to love the Bible. The Bible is very hard to read sometimes, but it's always good for us, and it never returns void. As Michael read earlier, all scripture is breathed out by God, and it's beneficial to us in many, many different ways. Satan wants you to stray from that truth. He wants to take a seed of doubt and put it in your mind and say that, you know, the Bible may not be the best for you. Maybe you can look elsewhere, or maybe you can say whatever you want, and it can be truth. We live in a world, like y'all live in a culture that that talks about your truth, right? Uh, You do you, right? That's the mantra of the culture today. But the Bible says something very clear, very differently. The Bible says, it's not your truth, it's God's truth, and it's only found in the Bible. No additions, no subtractions necessary, it's sufficient for you. We're going to unpack that a little bit in small groups, but before we do that, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you for your word and how it changes us. I ask that you would be with us, and we pray this in Christ's holy and wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful for you. Please keep an eye out for more audio upcoming from WYM.